You're listening to Education Experts with EDX Education. Education is evolving. Join Heather Welch from EDX Education chatting with teachers, psychologists, parents, authors, creatives and other talented experts to keep up with the trends and what's happening from around the globe. This podcast series from EDX Education discusses home learning, school readiness, being creatives, changing in education, discussing what's next, hands-on learning, or as we like to say, learning through play. Welcome everyone, I'm Heather Welch from EDX Education, and today I'll be in conversation with Dr. Karen Jakubowski, educator, empowerment coach, and founder of Educational Impact Academy. Dr. J, as she's been referred to by her children, believes in connection before correction, using mindfulness strategies with her students, helping kids live to be happier, healthier every day. She's touched the lives of thousands of families in multiple states with her ability to connect and help kids experience success from their challenging behaviours. With a doctorate in educational leadership and nearly 20 years of experience in education, she's been referred to as an educational game changer, which we all know we need at the moment, especially after the last 12 to 18 months. Today, we're chatting about the challenges of being an educator with all the changes in the last 12 to 18 months, problem solving, kids' behaviours and connecting with kids. Dr. Jay, welcome. It's so lovely to have you here today. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Can I please ask you to introduce yourself to our listeners and what you love about teaching? Yes. So I am Karen Chekabowski and I was a teacher for about six years and then I was an aspiring principal. So I um, actually worked in two elementary schools as a problem study child study team facilitator. So we actually took kids needs and where they were at and things that were like barriers to their learning. And we would problem solve interventions. So I did that for two years. And then I became an assistant principal. And now I'm a principal totaling my 10th year now. And the thing I love about teaching, well, the reason why I got into teaching was because I just love kids. And I, there were so many teachers who had such a positive influence on me growing up to the point where I literally was like, I am who I am today because of those positive influences in my life that several of them were teachers. And if there was anything I could do or give back and look at the end of my life and look back and say, what did I do? What did I, how did I make a difference? It really boiled down to wanting to instill in kids what people had instilled in me. So sometimes I actually didn't really think I was like the best instructional teacher, teacher when it comes down to it. But what I really did well was, was encourage kids, help them see past maybe their mistakes or their challenges that sometimes ends up defining who those kids are. And I just believed in them and, and, and created a place where they loved coming to school. And it's so funny, my fourth grade students would be like, please loop with us, please loop with us. <laughs> because one day they looked at me and they're like, you're an actress, because I would do anything to keep it exciting and engaging and, and fun learning. Uh, so that's kind of why I started out going into teaching. Oh, I really love to hear that because you do find, and I even saw this on your on your website, you've quoted, for years I saw kids struggling in school. Some kids had behavioural issues. Some just couldn't do school as we know it. And it's true. Some kids just don't, can't do the structure that we put in place with them. There's a lot of this, un, they call it un, unschooling at the moment over here. I don't know if they've got the same thing, oh, yeah. but they're, they're not, they're schooling in the non-traditional sense. But then you've got here, over the years, I learned a collaborative problem-solving approach and everything started to change. I mean, could you talk us through this process and what was that light bulb moment that, you know, allowed you to think about this collaborative problem-solving approach for children? 
Yeah. So when I was a fourth grade teacher, I had kids with who I thought were completely brilliant because when I gave them an activity to do with materials, to build something, create something, they were, they were just so creative and could just put things together with their hands. But the minute I had them do the paper pencil activity, it was like pulling teeth. Like I could not get that kid to just do the work that we needed them to do. And so I would have lunch with him just to connect with him and just try to figure out like, what makes you tick? Like, we got to get you through this successfully. And I have no idea how to do it. And everything I tried didn't seem to end up working. And one day he looked at me and he said, I need a box and I, I want you to put me in a box and only you're allowed in the box. And I was like, wow. I mean, kids just learn so differently and the majority of them show up and do what they want you to do. But it was those kids who, I mean, one year I had a kid who would just run under, under the cubbies and and hide before recess. And I, I didn't know why, and I didn't know how to help them and I couldn't get them out. And, and I, I faced that enough where I would get frustrated. And then when I told you I was a child study team facilitator, now we're dealing with, you know, more problems and kids didn't qualify for an IEP. They didn't qualify for a 504 but they had issues and concerns and they needed help, but there was nothing in the system that supported them. And so actually for my dissertation, I created what I thought was a job that was called like a learning mentor. And through my research, I actually found in the UK, it was something that pretty much already existed in some schools. And I was so excited because some kids just need a liaison between the teacher and the kid or the parent and the teacher. Um, there's just so much to navigate there. And I think sometimes things are, are kind of misunderstood. And so 12 years ago, when I attended a workshop by Dr. Stuart Ablon, he runs the number one psychiatry department in the country and has a program called Think Kids. And he taught us, there were six school districts that I was invited with to attend his day training. And he talked about a collaborative problem solving process. And he talked about using empathy and you're an empathetic to a police and what that sounded like and what kind of questions you would ask. And you don't talk down to the kid. You just use what I call the elevator tone of voice. And you say something like, I noticed you kicked a kid. What's up with that? And you use this magical question. What's up with that? And you just wait and you wait and you wait. And most times kids are like, I don't know, or they shrug their shoulders. And you just ask again, if you did know, what would you say? And eventually over time, kids learn to realize that you're not going to judge them. You're not going to talk down to them. You're not going to yell at them. And slowly they get to a place where they, they, they know it's safe to be vulnerable. And sometimes they would come up with things that happened hours before that event. But how many times do we react to what a child does in the moment based on what we saw them do? And I love how I've learned over the years, there's a story behind every behavior. And this process gets to the root in the story. I mean, mom, imagine if your kid did something and you knew a process to actually get them to help you understand why they did what they really did. And now let's, let's, it's either a problem to be solved or a skill they need to be taught. So that's, that's, the, that's the process in a nutshell. And for me, that changed everything. And I worked with that process. I wasn't good at it at first, like anything. <laughs> <laughs> it took practice and time and failure and failing forward, but it really synced with, with, with my philosophy of education and working with kids because it's a very positive approach. And that synced with, I mean, when I was a kid, I got in trouble a lot. I lied. I stole, I cheated. Like I was, I was a bad kid, but I felt bad and I, I got punished and I never want a kid to feel that. And I don't believe you have to make them feel worse. I believe every kid feels bad when they do something bad. And so that's, that's how I roll. And it, 
it's 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 kind of a little different. It's not always embraced by all, and but it's what I really believe at my core, and I have seen it impact kids' lives for the better. Oh, it's a really positive way. It's a really positive approach. When I was when I lived overseas, I lived overseas for a long time, and we were expats in Dubai of all places with one of my um, oldest boys, and he went to a school there, and he sort of was he was high energy. He was very high energy. He's concentration wasn't great he's very high energy and that was, wasn't really I suppose it was looked down on a lot at this particular international school and I remember having this teacher and she just assured me she said he does concentrate when he's interested and so yeah. she she created what she called is the race track for him so when she saw him getting jittery or just he just didn't self-regulate it was a really hot place in the middle of summer there wasn't much time outside and he didn't get that same energy you know, expelled that you do normally. And so she'd had this racetrack and she'd send him out there and he'd go flying and then she'd make him little Batman pens or anything like that to get him to hold a pen because he wasn't interested in holding a pen. He could, similar to what you're saying, he could build anything. He could do yeah. all those things, but he couldn't actually, he couldn't concentrate when he wasn't interested. He didn't want to just write ABC or anything like that. He didn't want to do the traditional learning, but he could play with anything. And it's funny because he used to be the one that would get into trouble a lot. And it wasn't until they started doing this, like because I suppose it's him to play therapy to figure out what the root of the problem was. And we used to do it at home a lot. So I'd set up all these things and would talk about what happened in our day. And you'd come back to exactly what you said before, something that happened hours earlier set off a chain of a chain reaction I suppose a chain of events that then went yeah. through the day and so it took a long time because I suppose they get labeled very quickly I find sometimes you know if you're a little bit less uh, easy to please children get labeled quickly I don't know do you find that you know over your years of teaching Yes. And it's funny that you say that because I just had an author on my podcast. Her name is Heather Shoemaker, and she's an author of two books. One's called It's Okay to Go Up the Slide. And it's like yeah. renegade rules that you're like, what am I going to teach my kid and why? But she grew up in a school that had three recesses. And she was telling me so much information around how, which has made me want to create one two and even three recesses within my school at yeah. school currently, uh, because the kids do need that, especially the boys. She said, Karn, if you build three recesses and if you found a way to do that, you would see the kids get all of their energy out, but also it's, it's twofold. Those are the experiences and the opportunities that they need to build their social skill. And she's like, don't, don't scribe what they're going to do. It's, it's literally free play where they true, she called true play is free play. Like when they're at recess, kids need that. They need to bump up against another and problem solve, or yeah, I want to play true. this. No, now what do I do? Oh, I don't have someone playing with me. How am I going to go ask them um, and just be in their world, in their world, because as they have that outlet, they're actually um, learning what the teacher had them do before and prepares them for what they're about to do after and then bring them inside and see if they can't sit down and actually now, now sit down and focus on what you want to do. So even that simple shift was really making me think a lot and, and especially my schedule at my school right now. <laughs> Are you looking at it right now and all the teachers going, what she's up, what you stopped today up to now? I know she's, <laughs> she's cooking something we can all hear it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it is really important. It's yeah, something. I mean, even simple things. I don't know to introduce a different snack or anything like that. Like there are simple things that you can do. Like um, I was talking to a teacher the other day, a head teacher, and she's gone to a new school, and she said they don't give they, they give them three meals a day and no snacks. So she's come from a school that, whereas they give them a snack, they give them something. And she goes, actually, the kids are starving. They don't they don't concentrate. They really lose. They lose their 
concentration at a certain time of the day and she can really sit. And she goes, you know, something simple as giving them a snack in the break. I mean, it's just these little things that some schools do, some schools don't, I suppose. But I think to expel the energy and it allows children to then self-regulate as well and they self-regulate with each other and they learn their boundaries, you know, and the cognitive development, everything, social and emotional skills, I mean, I always see what's happened with, when I, when I used to teach, I used to understand what's happening with children because they, they play and they talk about their world and how they okay. see it. And then you can understand what's happening within their world, when, especially when you do those early years, you know, you have more of an understanding of them. But um, I really love when you talk about um, connection before correction. And I suppose to explain to, the, to why it's so important, I'd love you to explain to everyone. Yeah. So, you know, if, if you're a teacher listening, you're a child in your class does something wrong. And in our situation, they, the teacher can put in a referral. So an administrator talks with the kid, figures out what happened, you know, and has to give a consequence as, as needed as determined. But, but over time, like I realized that the teachers and, and, and the teachers don't have a lot of time and this process does take time. So, so I, yeah. I do want to just recognize that. Uh, but if there's a way for us to create time, if that teacher were to use, for example, this collaborative problem solving process where you deal with it outside the event. So we're not going to deal with it when the kid's upset, flipping out, not in control of their body. That's a really big phrase. I teach uh, parents when I do workshops. Notice, first of all, when you're calm and in control of your body and you're not going to address it when you are. And you're not going to address it till the child is calm and in control of their body. And nine times out of 10, if a teacher were to say to a kid, I noticed you sat there the entire lesson and didn't fill out your answers. What's up with that? And if they, in that moment, you're creating a connection, you're opening up a level playing field that's non-judgmental, which helps that child take a risk to be vulnerable because it was surprising at times where a kid might say something like, well, you know, my dad yelled at me and we were rushing out the door and I need to get to finish my breakfast this morning. You know, and to us, we're like, why aren't they working? They should be working. They're refusing to work They're, You know, we, we always come up with our own stories and, and, and that's okay. But I'd like to beg you to seek to understand first what might really be going on. Right. And so that connection before correction, so many times we want to correct the kid or, you know, we write them up and they, you know, they need to feel that punishment or whatever it is, but we never went back to connecting with the kid to really find out what really went on. Like there was a kid who barreled into the class one day, a first grader, and the teacher called me and he just ran through the door and like knocked the kid over. And like, and of course now the kid's crying because administration was called and now it's all dramatic. (laughs) He's out in the hall with me. And, and I always just wait, a kid has to calm down when they are ready to calm down. Parents and teachers, just 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 tell yourself in your mind, like you can't control how fast your child or kid or student calms down. And and there's that waiting time. Give them that time. It's worth it in the end, the time invested for you to do this process um, as much as you're like, but we got to keep going. We got to keep moving with the curriculum pacing or, you know, in life, it's like, I got to get to gymnastics. I got to, you know, make dinner, et cetera. But you you have to let the child when you can. I know there's uh, extreme circumstances where you're like, nope, we just got to keep going. But if you can let them just take a breath and get calm and in control of their body. And I always look at them out of my peripheral. I never stare at them because that makes anybody feel awkward. So they're right there in my peripheral. And I just, sometimes I'll set a little timer for them to watch that that sometimes helps them. And when they're calm and in control, then when I said to them, like, wow, I heard you barreled through the glass, like hurt, like hurt a kid or knocked a kid over or whatever happened. And I use that question, like, what was up with that? And, and in his situation, it was, 
his dad had rushed him out the door that morning and he, he hadn't finished his food. So then what do I say next? Would you like us to go get something to eat? Like maybe that was the need that need to be met for us to then work on. Now, when you walk into the classroom, I want you to X, Y, Z, because how do you think it made them feel and vice versa? <laughs> they need to do all the teachings, you know what I mean? And, and yeah. model and et cetera. So, so connect before you correct. It's so important. And when you build that connection, now you've built that trust. And now the next time you have to deal with them with something, slowly they will open up and be more vulnerable with you because they know they're, you're, they're safe with you and you're not going to, you know, make them possibly feel like they don't have self-esteem. Sometimes kids who are bad deal with self-esteem and self-confidence because they've kind of been been made to feel bad. And I always reassure kids, you're not bad. What you did was a little unexpected. And I like to use that a lot, expected, unexpected, but you're not bad. So now how do you think that made someone feel and how do you feel? And what could we do to, to different to, to help that situation and let them come up with that on their own? It's such a lovely way to do it, expected and unexpected, because it's not really a negative, it's no negative connotation, really. It's just saying that, you know, we, we know that you can do this or we know that you, you know, you're trying to get the connection. I love it. It's, it's simplistic. It's not, you yeah. know, they're seeing red and no one, no one in their right mind when they're seeing red is, that's a, it's, I don't know if you've known that expression before is, is that they just can't, they can't see, you know, anything at all if they're cross. They, you have to wait till they calm down and then they can actually understand and process what happened. And, you know, if they're old enough to understand or even emotionally, you know, it depends on their learning abilities as well. It's really important. I think it's such a beautiful way to put it is connection before correction. Now, I was watching a video and you had this really lovely video on your YouTube and it was talking about mindfulness and you're talking about how you've been introducing it, especially during, I suppose, the last 12 to 18 months, which it has been a little bit more difficult, especially for educators trying to keep the world running, um, especially the children, you know, the children at school, the parents and everything. And it was this breathing technique that you do. And there was this little boy there and he was just so lovely the way that he was explaining how it calms him down and when he uses it. And I suppose I'd love you to talk about how, why you introduce these mindfulness techniques, strategies, I suppose, during and when you introduce them. Yeah. So two years ago, pre-COVID, uh, my school counselor heard at her child's school that they had a mindfulness coach come in and teach the kids these mindfulness lessons. And she was like, we have to bring this. So <laughs> we got um, some money together. We piloted it in our first grade, first grade only. And even one of the teachers was like, what is this all about? Yeah, whatever. I'm so not into it. And after the six or eight week course, she was like, Karn, I can't believe this. I'm using it for myself. I'm using it with my kids at home, let alone (laughs) her kids in her class were doing it. So she shared that with the entire school and our building leadership um, team decided as a team, like for the next year, we were going to hire the coach to come teach all the kids. And so she came for, I think it's six or eight weeks. And she teaches them awareness. So she just teaches them simply to notice your thoughts without any judgment. That's, that's the mindfulness piece. And she just has them sit quietly. Um, She uses this little strategy, like put your, put your back up tall, like a tree race, rest your hands gently on your lap, close your eyes or look down at the floor. You say whatever's comfortable for them because it might not feel comfortable for a kid to close their eyes. And then she'll just have them sit and she'll start out with a chime and they sit for one minute. And then over the week, she builds up a minute, a minute, a minute, and then 
then she teaches them a little mini lesson about like maybe listening. Let's just listen today to the sounds in the room. And another day she'll talk about seeing and what you see and just notice. And, and what do you hear? What do you taste? And she brought in a little, little something snack for them to try. And, and they're just being aware of their senses was pretty much the basis of those practices and teaching them little things, uh, little activities like breathing, like put your finger um, along your thumb. And as you go up to the top of your thumb, you breathe in. And as you travel down to the next finger, you breathe out and then breathe in. And we call it the five finger breath. I love doing that with kids because <laughs> they have their hand and it's always with them. And then she'll teach them like when you're on a test and you get anxious, or if you feel um, anxious in any other situation, stop and just do your five finger breath and then come back to that problem on the test. And I even had a fifth grader self-report how it had helped him on a test. And then she did a pre and post test with the second through fifth graders. And when they said 40% of them um, said it helped them sleep better at night, I was like, get out. We can help kids sleep That's better. Amazing. Like I'm yes. so excited about this. 80% said this should be taught to other kids. Such and such percent said it helped them calm down more. I mean, these kids, and then I put a video together on, on my video, my YouTube channel of kids self-reporting how they had used it when their mom was talking to their sibling and they wanted her to talk to him now. And he went and did his breaths and then he was calm and in control. And when she was ready, he was like, okay, we can talk. Like, this is huge. And, and now I saw it as like a proactive approach, like almost therapy for kids proactively because they're going to use these skills for the rest of their life. One girl in first grade had a swim meet and mom said she was always anxious. There's so much commotion. It's so busy. Then the coach like kind of talks with her voice and it gets a little stressful. And one day she looked over and her daughter was doing the breathing Aww. activities, went out there and crushed her little swim meet. And she's like, if you see my daughter with a step in, you know, a, a hop in her step today, that's why. Thank you for mindfulness Tuesdays. And it was like, this is so exciting. I'm so so yeah. It's such a lovely, it's so nice when you hear that. But do you think, I mean, you know, life now is so busy. I mean, pre, I mean, we were all home, I, you know, I, we were all homeschooling, we we're all at home working from home in many a sense. And so a lot of things shut down and we weren't as busy. But do you think it's for children that we, we're building all this anxiety and all this? Because everyone, it's instantaneous. Our life is instantaneous. You buy something from a, I can say Amazon or something, it comes the next day or you don't buy it or you you go to all these things and everything you expectate kids don't they stream tv they don't actually watch ads you know there's all these different things now where so i suppose that they have they haven't been taught to stop and think and take a breath you know so yeah. it's, it's really such a small it's a big thing because it causes lots of behavioral problems but it is something that you know do you think this is our society i suppose to a degree we're sort of not thinking about these things we just sort of charge ahead all the time yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, I always say, even I feel like I'm always running 110 <laughs> miles an hour. Like when, when does anybody ever stop? Right. And, and for any parent or teacher listening, it could literally be three minutes you do with your child once a day or build up to it. If one minute sounds like, huh, let's just get one minute of just sitting comfortably, letting your eyes close or looking down, but but maybe practice it and set a little timer with, with you and your child. Because I interviewed um, high schoolers on my podcast and their teacher would do start every class with three minutes of this mindful moment of silence. And what they said this did for them, it totally like recharged them to come back to the moment. Whatever they were racing through beforehand, it helped them pause and just reframe. Okay, now I'm ready for this. 
and they started using it more and more in their life. And, and they actually shared that one of them said it literally got them through 2020 through yeah. COVID. Very hard. So mom or teacher, think of your day, think of your week, carve out one minute that you could do with your child once a day, once a week, and just start there, start small and see, see what it, see what the practice does for you. Just try it out and, and you'll find, you know, what works for you. But the most important thing is just, just to start, you know, and, and, and there's, if you go on my website, educationalimpactacademy.com, if you click on blog on the right-hand side, there's a free video of a mindfulness lesson because I have some in the portal that you can buy and, and use for adolescents or, or kids and just try one, try it with your kid this week, see how they respond or react to it. And, yeah, and you could start very simply. Uh, such is such a lovely way. Do you also, you also do workshops, don't you? Do you do workshops through Education Impact Academy for parents or is it for teachers? At the moment I'm running one, well, it's called Happy Kids, Not Perfect Kids. So it could be for a teacher or parent. <laughs> I um, like at the, that. <laughs> at the moment we, do, we have um, parents in the program. So it's a six week course, one hour a week on Zoom call on a Tuesday night. And I'm teaching them these practices of this collaborative problem solving approach, like asking what's up with that, noticing that when you're going to get in control of your body and your kid before you deal with an issue, and even already we're three weeks in, uh, tomorrow's our fourth, the fourth week, and the parents are like coming back and telling stories of how they did it and they noticed it and they or, or an area where they struggled with it and were able to give them feedback. And what's so beautiful about the way I structure the course, it's very interactive. So parents are hearing from other parents and it's not just like, I'm the one who has all the info. No, we are learning in, in this together. And I just found that really people love that opportunity. Do you know what is so important? Uh, is, the, is this a continuous thing? Will people be able to look online? Can they look at your website and actually see to sign up for, a, if they're interested, can they sign up for these kind of workshops? Yeah, the best thing to do is when you go to my website, um, right at the top, there's, if you put your email address in, the best thing to do is get on my email list so that you can hear when these next courses are coming out, because then some of them are going to be sold on the website. So if you can't show up at it at a certain time, you could at least buy it and watch it on your own time. So those are like two options out there. But to get on the email list, there's just an opportunity right on the front page to get my free video course of three steps to happy kids, uh, where I actually talk you through some of this. So you can kind of watch it over and over <laughs> if you wanted to. And then that'll put you on the email list to get all of my um, weekly, bi-weekly emails of any upcoming workshops as we put them together or what we're featuring um, coming out next. Yeah. Can I ask you, over the 20 years, have you, do you find that kids or children's, their behaviour has changed? Like, do you think emotionally in, that their behaviour is more recognised, that we have all these, you know, different, we are diagnose our children with more things? Or do you think that just through society, our, it, you, you look at, you know, think about 20 years ago when you first started teaching to now, I'm sure you're much wiser now. <laughs> do, you know, um, do you see that it's changed a lot? There's a lot of things that have changed within the, children the social struggles they have um yeah one of the changes is when a kid ha has an IEP or a 504 the regulations that really rule if a child is eligible we have seen those change over time to actually include more things so it's easier for kids to kind of be identified now and there's more areas they could be identified under so that's a growing change where now we're seeing more students qualify for 504s and or IEPs and individual yeah. education plan. I mean, the last 10 years, my staff and I, we have just verbally, candidly shared with each other that we're seeing the mental health needs of kids on the rise. That was yeah. pre-COVID. 
And I guess what was so empowering for us was to bring in this mindfulness because we felt like we weren't getting enough supports for the kids. And so that's what I loved about this. I was like, I don't have to wait around anymore for someone to come help us. We, so I took two courses to learn the materials and teach the lessons to the kids. Um, and then actually one of my fifth grade students created my first YouTube channel called Mindfulness with Dr. J, who actually was a bright kid with a lot of behavior problems. But that's, that's my ninja trick where I've learned you take the kids struggling and you find out what they're good at and you empower them in that. And then all of a sudden kids would walk by and be like, hey, tech guy, instead of he's the guy always in trouble in the office. Like it, it, the whole thing is just so beautiful. It's It's been empowering for a lot of kids. It's really lovely. It's, you know, it is, I suppose, I mean, many years ago when I was, tra- when I trained to be a teacher, actually, I think there was, was who was it? Um, Sir Ken Robinson had that YouTube. It was that first YouTube he did create our uh, schools kill creativity or something like that. Do you remember this one? And he was talking about how we really need to exactly what you're doing. We need to cater to the children's individual needs and to look at what they're good at and, figure out how we're going to, you know, use those soft skills and make them get them more engaged. And in, I mean, intrinsically motivated really to, to, and have a respect for each other instead of, you know, doing the same thing over again, which I suppose lots of people do, lots of businesses do as well. Yes, yes. <laughs> you never know. But I suppose one thing is, do you have like in your elementary school, and especially over the last, you know, 18 months, is there more of a social media? Is that a potential cause for mental health problems? Could you, I mean, you know, without the actual figures, I know it's hard, but is there something that you see that's on a rise? In the school that I'm at, we, we don't see it as much as I know it is happening. And maybe that's because the parents are more controlling of what mm. they're allowing their kids on. But in more in like fourth and closest to closer to fifth grade, and then in sixth grade, the 11 and 12 year olds, we start to see it the most creeping up. Um, and I get this question often and um, people are like, you know, how, how should I regulate what my kid does on social media? How should I create an avatar and like spy on them? And, you know, everyone has a ton of questions around this, oh, but wow. really what, what you want to notice is, is has your child's behavior changed in any way? And if, and when you notice your child's behavior changing, that's where you could use this collaborative problem problem solving process, because you could be like, Hey, it looks like you, you looked sad a little bit yesterday and today, and it could be stemming from something that happened on social media. And then you can walk them through that or use it as a teachable moment. So, you know, I'm sure there's a hundred different things. People might have opinions about regulating and managing their kids on social media, but also just, just tune in with their, them, their, them emotionally, you know, and observe their behavior because they, they may, if, if anything has shifted or changed, it could be a stem from that. And even the high schoolers that I interviewed on my podcast, they were like, it's the first thing we do when we wake up in the morning is check our social media feed. Who said what? Was I included? Did anybody say anything about me? How was I perceived? How was I? I mean, it is just, just, yeah. just has totally consumed our world, you know? And so giving our kids tools to manage and regulate their anxiety or stress will help them in those moments if someone on social media said or did or didn't and those pressures want to creep in. And so I that's what I love about this process because you're actually the problem solving process is teaching your kid to problem solve, which is what we all want our kids to do when they grow up yeah. and, and and be citizens to be able to give back in in a way. And then the mindfulness techniques are teaching them how to manage their stress, anxiety, you know, they might not know those words right now, but you teach them like when you feel the heat rising in your neck, when you feel your heart pounding a little bit, 
Now take a deep breath and notice what happens. And you are really helping them learn their physiological state that to move them from the fight or flight mode into that state of calm, present, and now I can engage. Such an important skill in life, not just to win your children. It's important, as you're saying before, it's teachers are using it. We can use it. Parents can use it before they sort of, you know, to figure out exactly what happened rather than in the ch- chain of reaction of events and everything. I was wondering what, you know, many teachers are they're a little bit, I suppose, depleted of energy. They're a little bit, they've taken on board a lot of the behaviour, the emotional, the mental stress from homeschooling. They've retrained. If you've got two tips that would help them get through the next 12 months, what would they be for teachers? Uh, the first one is check in early with yourself and often. Notice where you carry your stress. Yeah. Do, you, do your shoulders tense up? Does your mind race? Can you not turn it off? Just notice where your stress is building up for you. So becoming aware is the first thing. And then check in early and often and tell you, write that somewhere. So throughout your day, you're like, how am I feeling? What is, what is my state? What mental state am I in? What physical state? And then identify something you can do to help relieve your own stress. That's like two minutes, whether it's breathing for me, it's my breaths, my finger breath. I actually close my office door. I do it like it helps me in that moment and then create a list. And, and there's, um, there was a lady that came on my podcast and she gave us a couple of resources around it. And then you can think of something that maybe it takes like an hour or two, like maybe it's a massage or something bigger going for a walk in the park outside. So you create a list of like short things, you know, you can access when you need to. And then maybe a list of longer things when you have more time and you plan for those and schedule them. I say like schedule it as important as it is an important phone call you have to make, make yourself that priority, your self care. If we're not our best, we're not going to be our best for our kids or our students because they are mirrors of us. And if we're freaked out and we're anxious and we're around 110 miles an hour, we can't be surprised that our kids are actually doing and looking the same way. So if, as you take care of yourself, whether it's three minute mindful moment break of breathing or something longer, and you're checking in early and often, you'll be your best. And then our kids will start mirroring that from us. That, that's a really big thing. They are mirrors of us. What are you saying at home? What are they hearing from you? Do you want them to hear that? Uh, because that's creating the world that they live in, you know, so maybe you need to get in your car and tell your girlfriend all the things you just want to be like, ah, about, but, but, but maybe think twice before that's said in the presence of your kids. I'm not saying don't be frustrated, but just show where you let off your frustration. I know a a mom who gets in her car and just screams her her lungs out. (laughs) I think I've done that myself once, twice before. Like, so it's just being aware of what you're saying and how you are showing up for your kids. And, and that just leave with that picture in your mind. They are a mirror of me. So what am I doing or saying that I want them to mirror? So that's brilliant advice, not just not just for teachers, for parents as well. They're under the stress from working from, oh, I suppose many have gone back now, but many countries are actually only going back, like Australia is only going back this week, opening schools up. And I know that there's some other countries in Asia that are just starting to open their schools up as well. But listen, how can our listeners hear more about Educational Impact Academy or even just get in touch with you? Um, I know that you've got an amazing podcast. It's Momnificent, which is available on, I know it's on Podbean, it's on Apple and it's on Spotify. Am I right? Yeah, it's on quite a few platforms. Anything you listen to, you should be able to find it there. 
Otherwise, they can yes. go to your educationalimpactacademy.com and yes. it's on there as well. But what's yes. the best way to get in touch or to email through if they're interested in courses or they have a few questions about the course courses? So on my website, there's also a contact me uh, button. You can just send a quick email to ask a question. Um, I'm on Facebook, Karin Jakubowski. I have a Facebook page, um, Educational Impact Academy uh, for moms as well. You could private message me on Instagram, Twitter, um, just put my name either frontwards or backwards. You could find me. <laughs> and um, I, I hope you do reach out because if there's anything I can do to help at least one mom empower you in your relationship with your kids, um, I would love to, our kids deserve it from us. And I always love the story of just imagine your kid on a stage one day talking to thousands of people and they say, you know what? I really struggled as a kid growing up, but my mom taught me <laughs> and how powerful could that, can that be? And it can be, yes, there's places for therapists and, and doctors, et cetera, in our lives. Yes. But you as a mom, there are some empowering tools and strategies to first remind you of how beautiful and special and magnificent you are, no matter what you you've done today or how you feel you are. And we help moms recognize that and remember that. And you have the ability to empower your kid to, to, to learn and grow and learn from the situations they face to be an incredible human for the rest of their life to live, to give back as well. Dr. J, your passion comes through for teaching very much in everything you've said today from talking about the collaborative approach, the parenting toolkits that you're giving for not only teachers but parents to come through and actually be able to problem solve this approach and, you know, to, to begin to change the behaviour of all these challenging moments that we all have and then you know, it can either spiral out of control or you can bring it back, which is what you're trying, what, what you're doing is you're bringing back children's behaviour and getting them to trust, you know, and then they're trusting someone, they're changing their behaviour in the way, lots of little successes. Your check, I love the check-in and offer. I think it's really interesting. And if anyone has a chance, please go on and have a look at one of the um, finger breathing exercise that one of the little boys he was actually, he was taught, one of your talk, the kids were talking about and he was just explaining how he uses it and why he uses it. It's such an important thing and powerful to see how our children are using these techniques and why they're so important because sometimes I suppose we don't think of the importance of it and it's such an important thing is what so the Education Impact Academy is doing an amazing job. Thank you, Dr. Jay, and we hope to hear more about it. Yeah, I would love to come back and speak with you again. Thank you so much for this opportunity. There are so many exciting developments happening right now in education. EDX Education would love to hear from you, so do get in touch or subscribe to our podcast, which is available on Apple, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn, and so many more. This podcast series is brought to you by Heather Welch from EDX Education, as she'd like to say, let's create lifelong learners. <laughs>